Hi, I'm Casey. And I'm Katie. And you are listening to the Turning Tables podcast. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you listened to our episode last week on deconstruction, we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Make sure that you tag us on Instagram and Twitter, share our podcast with a friend, Um, let people know that you're liking it and that you're listening to it and uh, help us spread the word. If you want to tell somebody on Facebook, just make sure that you tag us on there as well. We're really excited about the conversations that we're having here on the podcast. And we've got a lot of really exciting things in store. So today um, we're talking about something that I think most of the world, even the Christian world would view as, you know, why is that a big deal? You know, that's not even something that is really on our radar or something that we think about very often. And it's the topic of um, the relationship that the evangelical church has with alcohol. Um, I know, again, it might seem kind of silly, but it is something that I know growing up in the Southern Baptist church I went to, we just didn't talk about it. It wasn't something that was spoken about. It was kind of a taboo subject. Um, And because of that, a lot of people have an unhealthy view and relationship with alcohol. So all that being said, Katie, what was your uh, background with alcohol growing up? Um, So like I mentioned, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, um, teeny, teeny, tiny town in um, Southern Jefferson County in Missouri. And um, my parents were the worship leaders. We were there from, I think you guys probably heard it if you listened to the last episode last week, how my brother shared. We were there every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. Um, And it wasn't something that was necessarily talked about or not talked about. I feel as though we just didn't talk about alcohol at all. Um, We knew it was bad. We knew that that's what like sinners did was go to the bar and drink. And we actually, we would kind of like look down on our Catholic friends because they were always the ones who had parents that drank a lot. (laughs) And it was kind of like this self-righteous thing, like, oh, well, we don't drink. Um, And I would see my parents once in a while have like wine coolers at um, like family functions or or like an occasional glass of wine. Um, And my dad's family drank, but my mom's family predominantly was Southern Baptist. So we never had any um, family gatherings. And when I graduated from high school, again, I went to Southern Baptist churches all throughout elementary school and high school um, church camp, very, very, very involved in my youth group. When I graduated, I, um, you know, again, air quotes like we did last week, went into the real world and just kind of went crazy because I didn't know. I didn't know why it was wrong. I didn't know how it would, you know, what the consequences were. I didn't know what a hangover felt like. I knew nothing, (laughs) right? I mean, I knew nothing. So I think I kind of went crazy with it. Um, And actually, after I turned 21, I drank a lot less than I did before I was 21. But I think just the um, not having any dialogue about it, why is it wrong? Why is it okay? What, What do we believe about alcohol just left for, honestly, it was more unhealthy, I think, than actually talking about it and having guidelines for, you know, this is the responsible way to drink. This is... um, the relationship we have with alcohol, or this is what we believe the Bible says about it. We, we just didn't talk about it. What about you? Mine was very different, I think, from most Americans, partially because my parents were military. Um, so my dad uh, enlisted Air Force when I was younger. Um, he had kind of, from what I understand, drank his way out of college before entering the military. And so he kind of decided he wasn't going anywhere near it, that he couldn't he couldn't handle himself on it. My mom, on the other hand, drank uh, every once in a while for most of my childhood. She enjoyed a glass of wine. Um, I actually give her a lot of credit. She made like a real attempt to model what drinking correctly in a way that's not uh, going to ruin your life looks like um, and to set a good example. Um, and that did a really good job because when I got into high school and I was living in England where I could legally drink in high school, um, I did so and I never got into any trouble. And by the time I got to college, I had like a pretty healthy relationship with alcohol for the most part. Not saying I never went a little too far, but I had a, a way better uh, foundation than I think most other kids my age at that point. Um, it's interesting now, though, because I work for a pretty large denomination that 
does a lot of work in uh, like rehabilitation and uh, working with people with addiction. And they have an interesting stance where they don't participate, specifically their clergy and their equivalent of like a deacon doesn't participate in drinking alcohol, not from a theological basis or anything like that, but solely because they work so closely with people that are struggling with addiction. Um, and they have for such a long period of time that it's become a like a cultural staple of being in that denomination. Mm. This seems like a great time to bring on our guests. Uh, we're really excited to have uh, Rob and Lauren Kirsten here with us, who are a Enneagram 9 and 4. So, uh, Rob, why don't you tell us about yourself? Hey, hey, uh, Rob Kirsten here. I'm here with my lovely wife, Lauren. Hi there. And uh, we've been together just over a year and like two months. Actually, today is our uh, officially together as a dating couple two years ago. I know it sounds cheesy, but... Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. I know it's, the, you know, it's all about the little things, so... Um, but yeah, but we're, we're excited to be here, and thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, guys. So why don't you start, um, Rob? So I know a lot of your story. Casey does not know a lot of your story, but and you can share as much or as little as you want, but why don't you start by telling us um, about your faith journey, how you grew up, um, your relationship with alcohol growing up, and what it looks like now. Sure. So my story is probably different than most people. Um, my parents met each other in college. I'm going back before my time. Um, my dad used to actually drink beer and eat pizza and smoke weed ah, all the time. Interesting. And uh, my mom was a goody goody. Uh, hasn't touched alcohol or anything like that. Didn't even smoke cigarettes, even though it was popular in the '60s. Um, so they had me, um, and I have two siblings. Um, but it's very funny because actually when I was three and a half actually on Easter Sunday was actually when I got saved. Um, so my actual first memory is actually of me coming to know Christ. Um, people are like, how do you even know that? Well, I remember where I was at on the road. I remember what the clothes I was wearing. Um, I remember it was about like at 1247 at PM and, uh, you know, a nice spring day in 1987. So people are like, boy, that's crazy. Um, but just kind of to make a long story short, my second memory then is actually I was actually sexually molested um, when I was a kid. Mm. Um, and so with that, you know, you carry around bitterness and resentment for a really long period of time. And the whole time my parents, you know, the, the, the Jesus thing, we're just going to pray and things are just going to get fixed. Um, but in reality, on the inside of me, it wasn't getting fixed. Um, a lot of people would try to, you know, they would hang out with me, they would talk with me, and I just kind of brushed them off to the side. And I, I developed very shallow relationships. And just to kind of make a long story short, I, like Casey, also work now at a nonprofit. Um, my, my parents actually have been the executive directors there for a very long time. And with that, like we lived on the property, which actually one of our clients actually did sexually molest me at the organization. Mm, wow. And so it's crazy because I actually now work where it happened, um, mm. which is just really interesting to see because it's only a God thing that I actually came back to work, you know, where, where the dangerness, <laughs> that's what I call it, the dangerness um, of what I went through. Yes, I'm being cheesy one. <laughs> My wife is. She's laughing at it. She's him. laughing at me. And He's never called it that before. <laughs> <laughs> the danger zone. The danger Ooh, zone. Living in the danger zone. I like zone. that. Okay. I like it. Um, but with that, like growing up, my parents, you know, drinking was totally off the table. Um, we couldn't say, you know, sucks and crap. And, you know, we, we had the Christian cuss words, darn it. You know, could gosh, you watch Pokemon G. though? No, I wasn't no, allowed to watch Pokemon either. either. <laughs> no Pokemon, no boy meets world, especially once That's they went to so college. Sad. We could watch boy meets world, boy but that was world to the extent. Staple. Did you watch friends? No, me either. Still haven't. Still haven't either. High Rock five. On. Air five. Air five. Yes. Like <laughs> We're lame. Anyway, continue. <laughs> I just remember, though, um, because my parents run this organization, you know, just growing up, you would always hear, 
don't drink, you know, you're a Christian. You know, I grew up in an evangelical church as well. Uh, very charismatic, actually a Pentecostal church. And drinking was shamed upon. It was mm-hmm. looked down upon. If you drank, you're an outsider. Mm-hmm. And I think people were just very turned off by that. I mean, I grew up, you couldn't play cards. You couldn't go to movies. Wow. Shorts had to be to the knee. I mean, girls had to have long hair, dresses, skirts. Oh, okay. Skirts so was to the it a knee. UPC church? No, it was actually an Assembly of God church. Interesting. I didn't know that they had those rules. In the early days. Wow. Yeah, and they probably changed a lot of that in probably 1988. Okay. Um, and it was kind of funny because... The church we went to, uh, a lot of the guys actually were playing like spades, the card game spades, at the missions trip, and everybody asked the pastor, what do you think about this? And he goes, there's no money on the table. Why am I worried about that? Um, so that's a whole probably We didn't play topic. cards either. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. But with that, um, inside the church, you know, alcohol was looked down upon. You know, if you do it, you're a sinner and, you know, you're going to hell and all this kind of stuff. And inside of me, like, of course, I took that upon myself, too, because I didn't want to offend my parents. You know, my friends didn't drink. They weren't about that life. And I really never even really touched alcohol until I turned 21. Mm. And I had some friends. We were in college, actually, not too far from your house, Katie, here, where actually I had my first uh, beer, actually, believe it or not. And after we drank it, we're in the basement, you know, it's at dark and I'm like, nobody's going to know we're here. You know, like I feel so guilty on the inside. Why am I doing this? But give me another one, you know? Um, but I can say to this day, I've never been drunk in my entire life. I've never been drunk. I've been awfully close, awfully close at, yeah, Lauren's family's Thanksgiving. Our honeymoon. Our honeymoon. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. So a couple times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But with that, like, I do remember there was one time at my grandparents' 50th wedding vow renewal thing. I do remember my dad having some champagne and my mom having a taste of champagne for the first time in her life. And I was just like, is this even right? Like, you know, (laughs) is is it legal? And it's funny because I wasn't even 21 yet. My brother and sister, who are younger than I am, they weren't 21 yet. And my, my, I remember my brother looking to my mom, and he's like, is this okay? And she goes, yeah, it's fine. Like, this is the only one. And I'm thinking to myself, Mom, you wouldn't even let us watch The Simpsons. Like, mm-hmm. this is a sin. I know it is in your eyes. Have you noticed your parents? Because I've noticed, at least with my parents, over the probably the past 10 years, have become a lot more laid back mm-hmm. about a lot of things. And I don't know if it has to do with us just growing up or putting up with like stupid decisions that me and my brother made. But my parents are so much more relaxed than they used to be. Sure. Yeah. I I think for us, it was, I I started to notice my parents' viewpoint change to some extent. I, I mean, I appreciate my dad. My dad's a normal human being. You know, he looks at it as not that alcohol is a sin, but because he was an, an AG minister, um, and I actually was an AG minister. Obviously, you have to sign kind of a, yeah. a declaration, a declaration saying, "Hey, I will not drink, and I have to abide by your guidelines." So for me, I'm like, well, I don't want to do any of that because I'm signed on as a minister, and I don't, you know, if I adhere to those rules, I probably should follow those rules. But that's also me as an Enneagram Nine wanting to making sure. I I abide by all the rules, yeah. right? Because I don't want to disturb the peace. Disturb the peace, <laughs> um, for sure. And um, you know, it's just really interesting. Just just having going, you know, just having to work through that. Um, I just remember before I met my beautiful wife Lauren, I actually was dating this girl at the time. Um, and this is even after I'm working at the minute, you know, the place I work at now. And I remember she was scared to fly. And she's like really nervous. And she goes, I don't know if I can do this. Will you have a beer with me? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if this is a good thing. And I'm like, sure, what the heck? It's not a big deal. She's like, are you sure? And I'm over there. I'm like starting to slam this Bud Light, right? And uh, I just kind of thought in that moment, I'm like, what's the big deal? I'm not drunk, right? It was just one beer. I feel fine. I I know it's probably me as a bigger guy is going to take a lot more than one beer to really have an effect. 
And so anyways, I took her to the airport, blah, blah, blah. Didn't work out with her. Thank God. Um, <laughs> you leveled up. And Let's I totally leveled, leveled up. up. That's yes. for sure. Um, but it was really nice actually when Lauren and I met, you know, several years ago and, um, she wasn't, she wasn't raised in the same background that I was, you know, that alcohol is a sin, you know, the church setting that I grew up in, you know, alcohol is a sin. And if you do it, you know, that's one of the deadly sins, you know, you can't come back <laughs> from kind of thing. And that's in air quotes. Cause that's not really what they believe, but in my mind, yeah, that's what it felt serious. like. Yeah. And so I, I, I met Lauren on a beautiful, beautiful Saturday. And <laughs> didn't I didn't know where you were going with that. <laughs> well, that's all right. But I remember picking her up and I was just like, man, this is, I, I, at the time I wasn't looking for somebody. I was going but curious, but not really looking. And we ended up spending like six and a half hours at a restaurant eating some tacos. And uh, where, where at? Mission Taco. Of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. The only place you get tacos in St. Exactly. Louis. Yeah. Yes. They're going to yeah. sponsor this episode. They probably way. will after this. Yeah. I, the Maestro is my favorite drink. I'll take free ones <laughs> the rest of my life. Shrimp habanero. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and it was just funny because I'm on our second date, we act, I actually was getting uh, all-inclusive Cardinal tickets. And I knew after that date that... Uh, that was the type that I wanted to marry this girl because I couldn't tell you the the score of the Cardinals game for the first time in my life, <laughs> and they were playing the Cubs. And you had a beer at the game. And I had a beer at the game, and I was really nervous. And she told me later, she said I was going. You know, I told you I had to go to the bathroom, but I went back and slammed a drink uh, on my, <laughs> oh my way gosh. back to the seat. Aww. You know, but the rest is history. What is uh, Lauren? What's your background just a little bit of your story yeah. as it relates to alcohol like did did you grow up thinking it was wrong or how did your parents talk about it sure so i grew up a very different background than rob i came from a home that was not a christian home so alcohol was looked at as an everyday mm -hmm. thing like watching tv or going to the movies with your family so my mom drank pretty regularly, and our extended family drank pretty regularly. My dad um, would drink on special occasions, their anniversary, if they were going out somewhere. But we always knew that he was a big frat guy in college and kind of drank, got drinking out of his system. So we didn't think much of it, but it was never really something that we talked about because it was kind of just looked at as a norm. And that's what people do. It's, yeah. You know, so... It wasn't really talked about much, um, and I actually joined the Mormon Church no, in high school. No, you did not. I know. You didn't know this about <gasps> me. Yes. So oh, my was, gosh. I've been to Utah many times to do for work. <laughs> no, really. Yeah. And a lot of my team members are Mormon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I joined the Mormon Church. We moved to the St. Louis area when I first started high school, and I met some friends that were Mormon, and I was really just kind of in a searching phase as far as faith and started going to the Mormon church and got baptized in the Mormon wow. church in high school. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. fascinating. I know. So their views on a lot of things are a bit legalistic, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to alcohol. It's just a hard no. So I kind of took on those viewpoints. Um, Which was kind of similar how I grew up as yeah, well. In a way. Yeah, yeah. So kind of moved into a, a mindset that was similar to Rob's. And so I was Mormon for six years and then found some great friends in a campus ministry in college and just got to ask some great hard questions. Wow. And yeah, really became a Christian there. That's a whole other podcast episode. It is. <laughs> it definitely is. Yeah, we may be back. Mormons, unpacking that away. Mormonism yeah. coming to Oh my gosh, that'd be interesting. <laughs> I know. Okay, so then you, be yeah. you became a born-again Christian. And yeah, then in college. Okay. And didn't have any problem drinking then. Pizza? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I mean, I was in a sorority in college and partied and drank and had all kinds of fun. But... Um, then moved back to St. Louis after college and, I don't know, as far as alcohol. Mm. Trying to think of, like, where my alcohol journey goes. <laughs> Just, like, a silly <laughs> thing well, to so say. Like, talk about 
maybe you could talk about how, like, what it was like when you guys got together. Like, your view, did you think it was silly that he thought it was so serious? So me and Rob were actually kind of, like, going back through our first conversations. We met on online dating, and we were going back through them Coffee last week. Coffee meets bagel, week. what, what? <laughs> yeah. Sponsor. <laughs> yeah, we were going back through them last week because it was the two years of us, like, starting dating. And it was really funny looking back at our early conversations. And I had asked him if he drinks. And he said, no, I don't drink at all, really. Um, And we were laughing so much because now he drinks much more regularly than I do. So, um, yeah, it was very interesting conversation to have at first. And it was never a big issue for us. I just told him, oh, I said, I love like going to bars and breweries and me and my friends love mixology and making fun things. He said, oh, that's neat. I don't drink at all. I work at a drug and alcohol rehab center. So, (laughs) which I would love to, (laughs) I would love to have you talk about that, Rob. So, uh, for as long as I've known you, you've always worked there, but I, when I met you, you were not drinking. And then now you are. Um, so I'm just curious as to how that all works together because you work with people who are coming out of alcoholism and drug addiction. Um, talk about the relationship there. Like how do you, um, what's the word I'm looking for? How do you reconcile reconcile that, I guess? Yeah, that's a good word. It's a great question. So we had some staff one time that the real reason why I started working there is I was actually working at a church in Florida, uh, interning. Um, and I, I drove home 17 hours by myself. Uh, that's a really long ride by yourself to think about life. And did I make the right choice? And God, what are you doing in my life? And I got home at Monday night at like 10 30 PM. And the guys that were working at the organization I was at decided to go out and party and they were fired Tuesday morning. Hmm. And th- the boss, a.k.a. my dad, came to me and said, I need you to fill in. You need to not go to the temp service. You need to come and fill in. And I was like, all right, cool. 11 and so years I, later. <laughs> and 12 years later, yeah. uh, I'm still here. Yeah. And in a different position than when I first started. But with that, I mean, th- there's a reason. I And I totally understand the reason why, you know, when you're trying to help people through addiction, it's really hard to have people who are going out and partying and, you know, getting hammered drunk and doing drugs and then coming back that night or the next day and saying, Hey, you need to change your ways. If you don't, you know, you're going to hell type of thing. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you know? So that kind of started bothering me a little bit. I'm like, I totally understand why we do what we do, but do I really agree with that? And even though like this kind of opened the door to having conversations with my family and at the same time, the church I was attending was also going through a bylaw change. And, and with that, like, I remember they were taking something out of the bylaws to say they were taking out, do not drink alcohol and changing it and just saying, abide your life to Galatians chapter five. Hmm. And so with that, I'm like, well, now we can go out and drink. We just can't get drunk. And it's funny because there was people that were for it in the church. There were people that were against it. My mom, the saint that she is, and she's only had a sip of of alcohol to my knowledge in her life, and she didn't like it, stood up and was pro-alcohol. And I was really shocked at that. And I remember standing there like, huh, I never would have thought about it. But what she was saying is people, a lot of times in the church, they're not coming from it from a biblical standpoint. They're coming from it from a legalistic yeah, standpoint. Exactly. And, I, and I just realized in that moment, I'm like, it's not that drinking alcohol is a sin, but it's where's your heart, I believe, mm-hmm. in the manner where, you know, why are you drinking? Are you doing it to kind of stick it to the man kind of thing? Like, screw you, church. You know, I don't care. I'm do my own thing. Or is it really not a big deal? And I think I got to a place finally after years that it's not really a huge deal. Now, let's say I have somebody that graduates our program. I'm not going to be going and having a beer with him. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's fair to him. And I will tell people that actually struggle with alcohol and are alcoholic, probably can never touch the stuff again because it's just going to lead you right back down. 
to a pathway, you're going to end up right back to where you started. Yeah. To be honest. I think it has, we, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but like God's given us so many blessings, right? I mean, but we are, we live in sin and we're sinful people. Hmm. So we take what he has made that was supposed to be a blessing. It's supposed to be good. Just like sex. I mean, people, you could take sex and idolize it or, or use it to hurt people. Um, alcohol is the same kind of thing, like in the scripture. And we're going to talk about this a little later, but it's, it's viewed as a blessing, mm-hmm. like pretty much every time it's talked about, except getting drunk. Um, and the Bible warns about drunkenness, but alcohol in and of, in and of itself is viewed as a good thing. It's a blessing. So it is, it, like you said, it's the heart behind why are you drinking? You know, um, and of course, if someone's struggling with alcoholism, you know, you're going to ask them if you're with them, is it okay if I have a drink or just not get a drink at all? It's not going right. to hurt you to just not have a drink for one dinner. Right. But, um, you know, Casey, did you want to talk a little bit about something we talked about was why do a couple of the reasons, and we just talked about it a little bit, but why do you think evangelicals specifically, what are the reasonings for abstaining from alcohol? Well, I think the clear one is that it's so often viewed as a hypocrisy or um, leading other people into sin, um, which by the definition of hypocrisy, which is saying one thing or espousing one thing and then doing something different, it's only hypocrisy if you're telling people don't drink and then you go drink yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're in a situation where you're working in a treatment center and you're telling people that they need to stop drinking every day, then I can get that to a certain degree. I think there's some nuance there, and I think Rod did a good job of talking about that. But I think for a lot of people, we we lose any kind of sense of nuance. And it's like, you could be anywhere, and someone could be struggling with alcohol, so right. I can never touch alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Unless I be a bad witness. Right. And I think that's a really uh, sad way to live your life, because <laughs> mm-hmm. you just end up you can take that logic to almost anything yeah. and you just live your life on walking on eggshells. If you struggle with, you know, uh, being jealous of your friend's belongings and they have a big screen TV, are they just supposed to throw that out the window because you struggle with that? Right. right. It just, it's like to apply the same trail. logic to another area. It's like telling women that they have to wear burkas because you <laughs> struggle with pornography. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like that's, that's uh, you putting your problem onto yeah. the people around you, and it's not fair to anyone. And I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I have often found that the people who say, well, you know, if you drink, you could cause me to stumble. They're not even struggling. They're, those are not even the people that struggle with alcoholism. Right. So it becomes this, like, self-righteous, legalistic yeah. thing. Like, but mm-hmm. wait, hold on. Do you struggle with alcoholism? Because the last time I checked, that wasn't something that you we're walking through. So I'm not causing you to stumble. You know, right. you're not going to be tempted to have a drink just because I'm having a drink. Right. If you've never had a drink, <laughs> you're not on the verge of alcoholism. No. Well, that's funny because at the church I came from in that meeting I was telling you about, I remember this guy stood up and said, well, there's a guy at my work and says it takes him six beers to get drunk. So if he has one, he's one six of the way drunk. So why drink at all? Oh my gosh. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me i'm like you really reach if i drink six gallons of water i will die so i should never drink (laughs) water that's That's a good point because i'll be one unit of the way towards death yeah when i heard that i was just i was just like where is this coming from and i think a lot of times people in the church especially in the church i grew up in are fearful because they don't know any better. It's just what's been engraved in them. It's what's been, you know, it's what they've been taught. It's not necessarily what they have gone through. Yeah. They're, they're speaking at it from fear instead of really from experience. You know, like growing up, it's like, hey, if I have one beer, I'm going to be drunk. Well, that's not true. Let's be mm-hmm. honest. It's really hard to get drunk off a beer. I yeah. mean, really, especially for guys. I mean, we have we get a nice buzz, but we're not going to drink beer to get drunk. You're going to go drink other things to really mm-hmm. get to that place. And I think it. Like for me, I know in college, I remember, um, I never really felt bad about something unless my mom found out I was doing it. And then I instantly (laughs) felt 
like so much shame and so embarrassed. And I would try, I would put Mm. these things in like a checklist, like, okay, well, if I'm having sex with my boyfriend or if I'm drinking or if I'm, um, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, Mm -hmm. if I could just eliminate some of these, then the one thing I'm doing is not as bad. So it became this checklist. Well, then now I'm trying, I'm slipping into moralism and trying to earn, um, earn my salvation or earn my mom's approval, earn, I don't know. Earn, I mean, earn something, earn anything. Well, well, earn I, the grace of yeah, God. Earn the and grace I, of God. I think that's exactly. really what people look at. Yeah. And it's, you're not earning the grace of God because he gives it freely. Just yeah. because I drink doesn't make me a sinner. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's almost like saying my sin is greater than what Jesus did on the cross. And that's complete nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. I, and one other thing, I don't think we wanted to spend a lot of time here, but um, another reason why evangelicals abstain from drinking is because they Many of them, especially in the Southern Baptist um, denomination, believe that the alcohol or the wine referenced in the Bible was grape juice. (laughs) So what do you guys want to talk, say about that? I just want to say, I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. I know a lot of people would argue that, well, that was just grape juice. Well, let's be honest. What do you do at a wedding? You party. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think Jesus was there to say, all right, guys, here's the grape juice you ordered. No, I mean, they were there to party. It and was fermented it drink. The and wine. they said it was the best. Yeah. Then typically you serve the best first because you would get hammered drunk first. And then it doesn't matter what you have after that. Yeah. But they actually said, no, he's made the best stuff now. And he even said, get new wineskins. And they only would put stuff in wineskins because really it was fermented. Mm-hmm. And and just over and over in the scripture, again, the warning of being drunk. You can't get drunk on something that is non-alcoholic. So, uh, I mean, it seems silly to us, but I know people do believe that. And I know that they have reasoning for believing that. But just if you look at science, Mm -hmm. there, to me, there seems as if there's no way that it could be grape juice. Yeah. I mean, if you read the story of Jesus turning the water into wine, the ending portion of it specifically refers to that you serve the the best wine first because by the end, everyone's too drunk to really care. <laughs> so they're pretty explicit. You, so did grape juice exist in biblical times? Probably. They but they couldn't keep it from fermenting. They didn't right. have... For a long period yeah. of time, like you could have fresh pressed first. Yeah. Well, and I think what they forget too, the water at that time was not drinkable yes. water. Yeah. So they, was a huge part of it. Correct. And fermentation actually was the best way they could keep stuff for a longer Natural period probiotic. of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, another thing I, I found kind of t- while I was researching this and just learning more about it, um, in the Old Testament, there is a drink referred to as... Um, it's called shakar, and it's typically like the Hebrew word means that it's fermented barley. So a lot of people believe that it was a version of beer, and it had um, an ABV of around six to twelve percent. So similar to wow. like a double IPA, isn't that interesting? Um, but in the Bible, it it obviously so it says don't abuse it. This is in Isaiah five eleven. And then Isaiah 28, 7, Proverbs 21, and then Proverbs 31, 4. Um, it talks about drinking this shakar drink in moderation. But then it also talks about it being a blessing. What It says, they were commanded to offer up two liters of this beer to God six days a week, and even more so on the Sabbath. So again, it's just viewed as something, it's a good thing. It wasn't viewed as something to stay away from. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I could even think of it this way. Food is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Too much food is a bad thing. In some ways, I kind of relate that to alcohol Mm -hmm. because one beer is not going to do anything to me. Two beers is not going to do anything to me. And I'll be honest, most of the time, I couldn't have any more than two at a sitting. I'm just done with it. I'm ready to have something different. Um. I actually really like soda a lot, a lot, a lot. (laughs) Um, And so with that, like, obviously I've done some mixology and just tried other things with soda. Um, And even then it's like, because the alcohol changes the flavor for me, 
Uh, I just kind of grew up liking sodas. So it's like, I'll have one. I'm like, all right, cool. That's the only drink I'm going to have. I'm done. Um, but I think I, I got to that place of just trying things cause I kind of felt good. Right. And it was kind of more of inside of me. And there's still times like I hear that voice, are you really doing what you should be doing? And so I'm kind of fighting, is this Holy spirit? Is this me? Is this Satan? You know? So I have this jumbledness in my mind, even to this day, I think what got me to the place of saying, you know what, it's not a big deal is the fact that I think I just had such a legalistic view of this. And like what you point out, Katie, you started reading scripture where beer is okay and wine is okay. And, you know, alcohol isn't the devil, quote unquote, the devil. Um, Cause that's what we would hear for a long time. You know, this is Satan's juice. You know, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, where is that coming from? That's coming from somebody living in fear of somebody who doesn't have any knowledge what they're talking about. And so I think I just got to a place of saying, you know what? What somebody does is really their own convictions. And what I do is my own convictions. Who am I to sit here and call somebody out when I really don't even know for myself? And so I just, you know, I had one. I remember I had a beer and I kind of felt convicted. But I think some of that was because I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. I never tried it before. And like I, I, like I said, I was with my friends, I had a beer and I was like, oh, we're going to go to jail. Like this we're is bad, go you know, <laughs> you know, we're going to get kicked out of the church. You oh know, I was goodness. on the worship team at yeah. church. They're going to kick me off stage. You know, I was just thinking about this. My parents going to disown me You'll and all this homeless. kind of stuff. It's over. Homeless. It's over. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to make it into heaven now, Ugh. you know, and that's totally not the case. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, there's still things now. It's not like I'm going to flaunt it by any yeah. means, you know? Um, I, I think you have to be careful in all circumstances, you know, and to use wisdom. I think as Bo is licking my leg, yeah, that's, that's fun. not going to stop. <laughs> um, but I think with that, I just kind of got to a place and I just said, you know, I'm just going to do what I feel like I can do. And it's, it's going to be okay. There's that verse that talks about everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Yeah. And so to me, I just, I know, I just kind of did some studying and just kind of looked into that. And I could not find a verse in scripture that said, do not drink. And actually, I remember there's a verse in Proverbs. And I remember having this conversation with my mom because I gave a poor guy on the side of the road like 10 bucks. And I told my mom that and she goes, what are you doing that for? What if he buys alcohol? And there's actually a verse in Proverbs that says, actually buy him the alcohol so he can get drunk and actually doesn't have to worry about the cares of the world. And my mom told me that. And she goes, I found this first. And she goes, well, I guess you did the right thing. And so I was like, okay, cool, mom. Wow. That's great. Um, now, I didn't question her. I didn't really go looking if that was the case. Um, but with that, I just, I just kind of thought to myself, you know what? If God tells me to do something, even if tomorrow he told me don't drink alcohol again, I probably should stop. To be honest, if I really heard the voice, audible voice of God, stop doing this, stop eating food, just go on a liquid diet, whatever, I think that I should be obedient. But with that, I think when you are in a place and you're just not doing it because it's, you're legalistic and you're fearful, that's not really coming at it a good place because really you're doing exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. I think though in our relationship, <clears throat> sorry. Um, it was a really good, just like organic process as we were dating. And we had a lot of good conversations about, sorry, look at my toes, about what that looked like for you and things that you were learning. And I think there was a lot of humility in that process for you of just admitting that you were coming from a really legalistic place. And there were some struggles, internal struggles sometimes, but we were able to have some really good conversations about things you were learning and just realizing that maybe you didn't have it figured out or maybe the view that you had carried for a long time wasn't the only correct view. Maybe there were some things you could learn. So I think for us, we never had any really big fights or arguments. We had one argument about alcohol in our relationship, but um, it was just a lot of like really good in-depth learning conversations about what this looks like, why you believe the things that you did, especially between the two of us coming from such different backgrounds mm -hmm. in our family life. Right. And like I said, I thought my parents were anti for so long. And that wasn't even the case at all. 
Like my dad even said the other day, like, you're no longer a, a minister. You can do what you want. I'm like, I never thought I'd hear that man say that yeah. ever. But he was right because he knows it's not scriptural. You know, and it's not that he'll ever do it. But he's like, you know, if you want to do that, you can. Mm-hmm. But it's taken you a long time, I think, to get there with your family because even though you kind of knew that, knew that they were okay and had voted that way in the changing of the bylaws in the church, you would still get very nervous to talk about alcohol or what they may think if you were drinking alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, like when we registered for wedding gifts, I know your mom had talked to me just like about our wedding registry and you were like, I don't think they know I drink. I don't think they know. And I said, <laughs> you're just the you're, lush wife. And your <laughs> mom mentioned you. like, our beer glasses and our champagne flutes and, and our yeah. wine glass and our scotch glasses. And he's like, I don't know. She doesn't think I drink. And I was like, well, you cannot put this on me. <laughs> so it was really funny. I think he like kind of lived in denial for a while. And his parents and family knew that he was drinking and were much more casual about it than he thought they were going to be. Yeah. But I think in your head, you just didn't want to disappoint them or upset them, even though that wasn't the reality of what was going to happen. They were much more relaxed than you thought they would be. Well, and again, I mean, that's me. I'm, again, Enneagram 9, I'm not rocking the boat. Like, you know, no conflict, you know, don't do something that somebody's going to come back and have to correct me because I'm going to beat myself up Mm -hmm. for that. And so with it, I just looked at it as if my parents say no, I'm going to abide by what they said, and I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to do it. And you were just certain. You said, we'd never had a conversation. They don't know that I'm drinking. Right. I said, they know that we're, like, I was like, <laughs> I've posted pictures where we're, like, at a bar. They've seen our wedding registry. He's like, they don't know. They do not know I'm doing this. So it was very What do you guys think? Funny. So just knowing that your parents had those views, um, it sounds like you never had to have a conversation with them about it, but if you did, if if someone is listening to this right now and they um, they drink and they don't see anything wrong with it and they think that the Bible calls it a blessing and they um, believe that it is okay, it's not a sin, how do they have that conversation with their parents who may view it as a sin? I'm still dealing with that mm-hmm. to some extent. I haven't officially had that conversation. You just I think, jumped in and drank in front of them. Right, but I think <laughs> I'm the one that's more awkward than what they would be. And I'm probably making it in a worse situation than what it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're kind of overthinking it and you think they would be much more relaxed and not make as big a deal about it as you think they would. I mean, literally my dad literally said to me like two weeks ago, Oh, you know, you're not even a minister anymore. You can just drink whatever you want. And I'm like, is he saying that loosely? You know, I (laughs) started overanalyzing the data. Yeah. Um, But I, I, I think with that, I think you just have to be comfortable and say, you know what? This is my life. As much as I, I know my parents want the best for me, and I know in, in that situation... And you want to respect them. I want to respect them, and I want to respect the, you know their rules, but they also know I'm an adult, and I can make my own, my own thoughts, my own rules you know, of what I want to do, how I want to follow. But I think even with that, I think you just have to get to a place and say, you know what, God, am I real? is this really something I'm doing as kind of like a stick it to my parents or whatever? Mm-hmm. Am I really doing this because I think it's okay? And do you think it's okay? And I think, I mean, if, if I was talking to my parents or, you know, someone in the, in the church that I go to who disagrees with my stance on alcohol, I think it comes down to, like you said, like, what is your conviction? But also knowing that we, like, we're endowed with the Holy Spirit. You know, I have the Holy Spirit and I believe that he's going to help me discern what is right and wrong from mm-hmm. the scriptures. And right. if I look mm-hmm. at the scriptures and I see that this is, you know, this is something that God calls a blessing. This is not something to be afraid of. I don't struggle with addiction personally, so it's okay for me. Um, I think that's important to remember too, that everyone, you know, they do have the Holy Spirit if they're a believer, if they're a born again Christian mm-hmm. and they can make a logical decision about this. Right. I mean, I will say for me, I don't even like taking pain medication. Casey's acting like maybe not. No, go ahead. No, I I was just, (laughs) I was just saying for me, like, I don't even like the way I felt when I took pain medication because my gallbladder was inflared. And so for me, I also know that like, I'm saying that to say, I don't like the way I feel when I felt like I didn't have control. Right. 
And to come back to your point on like discernment, I think that we forget a lot of times that we we worship a God who doesn't lay down edicts for no apparent reason or just because he wants to. Like he he tells us things because they're in our best interest, they're going to make our lives happier, our communities better um, because he loves us. And so the rules he gives are guidance towards that. So when he says drink but don't get drunk, maybe the right question is why is the line right there? Um, I know my reading kind of suggests that um, God really values that we have free will. It's like the thing that makes us different from animals. Mm-hmm. And it's the that mark of his image on us. And when you use any kind of substance to the point that you're no longer in control of your own body, you're to some degree mm-hmm. uh, kind of like treading on that that gift he's given you. You're saying, I know you wanted to give me free will, but that's too much responsibility. Take it back for 20 minutes or two hours or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I I think that, like I said, I mean, if you are at a place where you can't even control it, then it's an issue. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think you have to use wisdom with doing it. I think putting yourself in a situation not to lose that control, um, will really set you up really in life to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like I know if I was to go and I would just start drinking and drinking and drinking and I would get drunk. Well, therefore I am sinning according to what scripture says, not that the alcohol or the beer, the first beer made me sin, but there is a fine line. Like you said that you cross. Now, I don't know what that line is. It's probably different for everybody. You know, I heard I, uh, a friend of mine actually said one time that, you know, if the state law is, you know, 0.08 blood alcohol content, you know, I, I, I did some research and found for women, that's about four drinks. For men, it's about five drinks in a two-hour time span. And so with that, as I also think, because there's a scripture that talks about obeying the laws of the land, mm-hmm. You know, and if the law of the land has specifically said that this is what we consider as legally drunk, I think we need to be mindful of that and be careful that we're not surpassing what they're calling that. And so I think God honors that. I don't think necessarily he's going to be super happy if we're making our own rules, our own laws, our own, you know, Bible verses and shoving it down people's throats. But I think in reality, we need to be truthful with what scripture says and not say, hey, let's just we're just going to make this a rule because this makes us feel good. And it's a way for us to control you. That's completely false and not truth at all. Mm -hmm. So to someone who grew up in a church or in a setting kind of like I did, um, and maybe like you did too, but more so me where it was just not talked about. What do all of you think that the church could do better to educate people on alcohol, to talk about it more, Um, So it's not just this taboo subject that we just don't talk about because that is more unhealthy than, (laughs) I mean, you're, Mm -hmm. you're doing people a disservice when you're not Mm -hmm. talking about it at all, because then again, they graduate from high school, they go to college and they go ballistic and crazy and drink way too much and get drunk every weekend. And that it's almost defeating the purpose of the hope. Okay. If we just don't talk about it, if we just never talk about alcohol or we don't have it in the house, then my kids are going to grow up and never drink. That's not true. So what do you think that the church could do better? I mean, I think one of the biggest things is just starting conversations. The common thread that you both said was you knew unspokenly that it was not good, but it wasn't really talked about. You didn't have conversations about it. One of the biggest things for me and Rob talking about things has been that he has learned so much just about his parents and the assumptions that he had about their views on alcohol with just having conversations, even though they haven't had the conversation of, I drink alcohol now, having open dialogue with them about their thoughts and learning that their views are a little bit different than what he assumed has made a big difference and has really opened up your mindset to where they were at and it wasn't at all where you thought they were at. So I just think that opening up dialogue is a really key thing because so many people, whether they think it's good, whether they think it's bad, aren't having conversations about it, aren't having conversations with kids, aren't having conversations with adults going off to college. We need to know why we believe what we believe. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts, but if there's a don't or there's a do... I want to know why. Yeah. It's important. 
I mean, the church that we attend now, I mean, the pastors, uh, they have this meeting that you go to and they actually, you can ask any question you want and everybody always asks, is alcohol okay? And they very clearly say, yes. Now you're not going to see us flaunt it. You're not going to see us posting pictures of the drinks we're having at dinner in case that somebody sees it, but we believe it's okay. And at first I was kind of taken back by that. And I was like, boy, to see a pastor having a beer in his hand at at my first thought was, boy, that's strange. That's (laughs) weird. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, what's the difference between a lay person and a clergy? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely nothing. It's just a fee you pay to the district or the church or organization that you're licensed through. That's the only difference. Um, in reality, the people that are the lay people are actually more of the missionary than the missionaries because they're dealing with people that they go to and from jobs. And so that means to me that just because I go and have a beer with a coworker, or not a coworker because of where I work at, but if I was in a for-profit company and I was like, hey, let's go have a beer, sometimes just going and loving people where they're at, you're not going to change them by shoving down legalistic laws. You, they get changed because of the friendship and love that that you talk with them through. I mean, Zacchaeus changed not because Jesus said you're a sinner. Zacchaeus changed because Jesus loved him first Mm -hmm. and said, Hey, I'm going to hang out with you at your house. And Zacchaeus on the road to his house goes, I'm going to pay back everybody. And so I think that we need to come to realization to realize we need to be like Jesus. Jesus hung around with everybody. He didn't have this legalistic viewpoint. You know, I think as Christians, we complicate what the Christian walk is about. We throw on all these rules and all these laws and all these taglines. And we say that I don't like that. I don't like the way that that is. And so we're just going to make a rule and say, you can't do that period. And that's not even scriptural. In fact, I think Satan comes as a deceiver and actually says, Hey, this is something you need to do to stop people. And I think it's just a way for him to Lord over Christians to kind of keep them in a box to some extent. Or to yeah. keep people from joining the church or turning them away. Absolutely. When... Yeah. How many people have never heard the gospel or felt his love because the Christians refused to go to the places that they were in mm-hmm. or be in the situations right. that they yeah. were in? I mean, the church I came from, there was this argument even amongst all the pastors. You have missionaries in other countries, even though the denomination is anti-drinking, but the denomination, you know, with the missionaries... They're out there in the public and they, if they don't, if they're invited out and the person says, Hey, have a drink with me, they actually will lose their foothold in the community unless they have a drink. So my question to them is, did you do it? And a lot of them say yes. And you had a lot of pastors throwing a fit about that because they didn't like it because it was so outside the norm. When in fact, it's like, guys, it's a beer for crying out loud. Like, yes, you should go to, you know a fast food place and get a mixed sandwich and smash the calories. That's just as uh-huh, bad. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. we, we throw this law in there and be like, well, this is a rule just because we say it is. And it's like, well, good for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just think that we just make up these fake rules to kind of just keep people in a box. Yeah. And being legalistic can sometimes hurt the relationships and bringing people to God more than just being open. So uh, my husband has been motioning for me to introduce him to the group so he can say something about this topic. No, I was just producer engineer over here. Uh, No, I was just thinking about this whole thing and how we live in in St. Louis, right, which is such a, like, beer town, such an alcohol town. I mean, we got Anheuser-Busch here, right? And so, like, it's a little goofy that, like, Christians, evangelicals, churches in St. Louis elevate alcohol is like this is the this is the thing that we're not going to like talk about we're not going to go and meet you where you're at and i think there's a huge opportunity in st louis to gather with people i mean the goal of you know the church if we're if we're talking evangel evangelistically it's a hard word to say is to go and meet people where they're gathering right Mm -hmm. and st louis has so many awesome gathering places there are churches that are actually meeting in bars now in st louis because there's such an opportunity here it'd be one thing if you know we lived in like a dry town yeah you know it'd be a little bit different but i just think that being in st louis there's just such a such a it's like almost a tool um it's a blessing and a tool to gather people. I think that to kind of bounce off that idea, um, 
John and I read a series of books a couple years ago um, by a ministry called 3DM, and we talked about missional communities and um, why small groups really don't work, um, the model of small groups, the way we know it as. Because if, let's say you are going to a church and you're hosting a small group, you're essentially asking people to do something that is not very normal. <laughs> you're asking them to come to your house, to sit in a circle, to face each other, to eat cheese cubes and drink pink punch and talk about their lives and their problems. But in the world, what the way they are communing with each other is they're sitting side by side at a bar watching the football game. They're at a concert, standing side by side, drinking a beer together. So just like you said, John, I mean, we're asking people to, nah, we just want to throw out the way you guys do community. And we want you to come and eat our cheese cubes and pretzels and talk about your issues and make you feel awkward. There's nothing (laughs) organic to it anymore. (laughs) Exactly. It's not organic. So that's why the model, the small group model that many churches have created today does not work. It does not produce true authentic community because we're asking people to come together once a week, have fake conversations, pray together, and then leave and never see each other. But if we model community where we do life on life, going into places where people already are, they're already at the bar, they're already at the sports game, they're already hanging out at the farmer's market and do life together and not expect them to conform to us. The We were just talking about the... Um, the verse, you know, in the world, not of it. But so many Christians, they don't know how to be in the world. They have no idea how to be in the world and they feel awkward and clunky, but Jesus calls us to be in the world. And yes, we want to look different, but I think that's where true evangelism and discipleship happens. I, I actually drive rideshare on the side and I pick up a lot of these people that are going to, to and from microbreweries yeah. and clubs and stuff like that. I can begin to tell you how many conversations get started. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally feel like I'm also a counselor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John's talked about uh, that I know too. John can can relate to that. Oh, yeah. Um, but it, it's just really funny. I just remember the other day I actually gave like dating advice. Uh, this girl was having problems. Uh, this guy doesn't like me. And I just said, you know what? You need to know what your values are. Mm-hmm. And stand up for your values. And and if he doesn't like you, he's a boy. He's not a man. Yeah. And you, you need to find a man that's going to treat you with love and respect that you deserve. Well, she gave me a good rating. I got $8 tip. <laughs> it was good stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'll but you've it. had so many people that have said they appreciate your conversations. Yeah. That they've just loved talking with you. That it's meant so much to them when you're just willing to just meet them where they're at. Just right. have authentic conversations with them. Just listen to what they're saying. Right. And a lot of my riders will say, yeah, my last driver, he, you know, was ultra conservative and he was just shoving the Bible and oh, stuff no. down my throat. And I'm, I, told, I'm, I told him, I said, hey, here's the deal. I said, I know our ride's almost over. I said, I'm a diehard Christian. And they said, you are? I said, yeah. And I'm telling you what, I'm loving you where you're at. I don't care what your stances are. I don't care which side of the aisle politically you swing on. Guess what? We still have something in common. Mm-hmm. We're human beings. Yeah. And that doesn't stop anything. Just because I'm a Christian, I'm not on a pedestal higher or you know, deeper than you are. And, and I said, really, we're supposed to just love people where they're at. And so, I mean, coming, from it, coming at it from, from the alcohol standpoint, just because you may be against it doesn't make you better than somebody else. And I think that took me a while to hear that because I used to think, I don't drink, I don't cuss, I'm quote unquote better than you. Well, that's not true at all. That's actually fake. But that is the subconscious legalistic message. The subconscious message is you're doing better, you're being better, you are better because you're following X rule. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it took you a while to get past that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I still have to deal with that thought in my head. I still have to continually work past getting that. I mean, there's still sometimes in that moment, I mean, you know, I'm in my thirties, you don't change that overnight. You know, um, you know, Katie, we were at breakfast a couple of weeks ago and our brunch really. And, you know, there's still part of me, like, you know, I wanted a beer Mosa and at, at the moment I was like, yeah, it sounds really good and I'll get that. Well, then they messed up the order and brought a second one out and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to start <laughs> feeling this. And I took a couple drinks and I just knew in that moment, I'm like, if I don't stop, this is going to be really bad. Um, 
And it wasn't, you know, in the moment, like when I first ordered, I've never drank in front of you guys, I don't think, before that. So there was my first thought was, should I really do this? Like, I don't feel right. And then I'm like, that's stupid. Like, why am I getting so up, like, upset inside of me over a stupid drink that's not going to affect me mm-hmm. really at all? And so I just am like, I'm having to still, I still have that struggle from time to time. You know, is this cool? Is it okay that I do this? Um, and I just have to tell myself, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know where my walk with God is. If I have a beer, it doesn't complicate my relationship with him at all because it's not scriptural. Well, guys, as we wrap up the conversation today, I just want to say thank you guys both for coming. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I know I learned a lot about both of your experiences. I had no idea that you were a Mormon. That is fascinating. <laughs> so definitely a podcast for another time. We're definitely going to come back to that. Some yes, oh, yeah, for sure, wait. for sure. So thank you guys for being on seriously. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, Katie thanks for having Casey. us. We had a great time. Well, thank you guys for listening today to our second episode of the Turning Tables podcast. Make sure you um, rate, review, and subscribe anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Tag us at Turning Pod. You can also follow us at Turning Pod. And until next time, go in peace.